Welcome to episode 221 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by Healthy Women. Healthy Women's new Ready, Healthy, and Able program provides education and resources to active duty service women so they can be their healthiest selves. This week's episode is part two in the three-part series with Healthy Women, and the first episode was episode 217, and we talked about mental health, and this episode is all about reproductive health. And my guest this week is Dr. Tony Marengo. She is the co-facilitator of the Expert Consortium Guiding the Work for Healthy Women's New Ready, Healthy, Able program. She is also a Navy veteran. Today, she is a specialist in women's health care, the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood of the Pacific Southwest. She is also on the executive council for District 9 for the American College of OBGYNs. And we spent a lot of time talking about why reproductive health is so important. And I learned a lot about things I didn't even know that affect military members around reproductive health. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic. It's a really important topic and something that military members, especially women, should know about. So let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Dr. Marengo. I'm so excited to have you this week as a guest on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm just, I'm really, I'm excited to get started and I'm excited to, you know, have this conversation with you. So let's start with, why did you decide to join the military? I joined the military. This is kind of a funny story. I, growing up, never would have thought I would would have joined the military ever, 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 because I grew up outside of Camp Pendleton. My father was a sergeant major in the Marine Corps, very strict, <laughs> very strict. And But growing up in that kind of military community, from the time I was probably 13, I was getting hit on by um, young Marines. And I was thinking, this is not what I want for my future, right? And I wanted to get out of Oceanside and I don't know. I I was, as I got a little bit older, started thinking about maybe I could be a doctor, um, which was kind of a big deal for my family. We were the first generation of kids to to even go to college. And, um, and then I made my way through college. And uh, while I was there, I started looking into medical school and I thought, oh my gosh, medical school, how's that even going to be affordable? Or how am I going to get there? And I talked to my dad about it. And I said, I really think I want to apply for a scholarship through the military to go to medical school. And I thought he was going to be head over heels like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And my father said, I don't think you should do that. And I thought it was really interesting because he was a career you know, Marine. And looking back now, I think for a couple of reasons, number one, he told me at the time, you don't like people telling you what to do. So I don't think you're going to like being in the military. And I think for number two, it was never said, but I think he had a little bit of fear about his baby girl going into the military in such a male dominated environment with a lot of the statistics that I'm, I know you've talked about on your show before uh, with, with, you know, sexual health and reproductive health, but also violence uh, against women in the military. And I think he, there was a little bit of concern on his part, honestly, but those words went unspoken, but I, I just, I felt that, but I, I did it anyway. <laughs> You're like, thanks, dad, but I'm going to do this anyways. Yeah, pretty much. So I ended up uh, applying for the Navy scholarship for medical school and uh, got that and went on to medical school. And, and after my residency, served in the United States Navy. And I wish we had like so much more time because I would love to hear that story. So we might have to follow up in a few months and 
have you on the podcast to talk about your military experience. I would love to. I would love to. I would just say that I was stationed in 29 Palms and uh, it was maybe dad was right. I don't know. But I would never trade my time in the military. And those are my people. um, And I'm so glad I'm here. So thank you. I know where 29 Palms is. It's not a tourist destination. I mean, it's by Joshua Tree. So it's like sort of a tourist. That's why I went there because we went to Joshua Tree National Park and uh, there's not much there. (laughs) (laughs) A big old Marine Corps base and a lot of tanks. We're focusing this week on reproductive health, and this is part of the three-part series with Healthy Women. And I'm really excited because I think this topic is so important, especially in the time that we're living with all the changes that have happened in the past year. And I know it's something that women who are in the military are thinking about and you know, women who aren't in the military, you know, it affects all of us in such an important way. So I'm really excited to talk about it. So we're working with Healthy Women and they have a new Ready, Healthy, Able program that provides health resources to active duty service women and service members with female biology. And you are a co-facilitator of the expert consortium guiding this work. Can you talk and how did you get involved? So how did I get involved with healthy women? So, wow. Um, it's That's also actually a story. I will say that um, I am an OBGYN by training. So after I completed my residency in obstetrics and gynecology, I put my uniform on and went out to 29 Palms and I was the staff OBGYN, one of three on the base um, at Naval Hospital 29 Palms. And I went into obstetrics and gynecology to practice the full breadth of um, obstetrics. So I was delivering babies and doing all the prenatal care and also gynecology. So I'm a female pelvic surgeon and um, providing specifically reproductive health care. So giving out birth control, um, checking for sexually transmitted infections, pelvic pain, abortion care. Because I trained in a civilian institution and then came to the military, I was trained in abortion care. That was just part of being an OBGYN to me. That was not like where my career was going to end. I didn't think it was like I was going to be a reproductive health specialist. Um, in my current role, for example, I'm the chief medical officer at, at a large Planned Parenthood affiliate. I never in a million years, 20 years ago, thought that's where I would be. But I will say that I credit my time in the military with where I am today. Because when I was stationed on that base, taking care of our young active duty people with uteruses, people who identified as female. And I saw, you know, this was the time where people were going back and forth to Afghanistan, Iraq. This was like Fallujah. This was all of that time. And I saw our soldiers and sailors who were like, you know, I want to suppress my period because I'm about to go to the desert for a year. Or, you know, I'm, what if I, you know, I'm captured and I don't want to be impregnated by my captors or, you know, all of the things that you wouldn't necessarily think about if you're a civilian practicing obstetrics and gynecology. And while I was there, I also looked around at my colleagues and the resources in the military. And I thought, you know, wow, we should, we should be doing the best at uh, reducing unintended pregnancy. We should be doing the best at offering all of our options to our military folks because we have these resources, right? We have TRICARE, everything is readily accessible. But I didn't always see that um, my colleagues had the same training in reproductive health care and certainly in abortion care or even contraception. And I also saw there were system issues with even getting in to get your birth control. How many steps, how many people did you have to talk to? How many referrals did you have to get if you just wanted an IUD, for example? 
So it was those moments and even some of the obstetrics issues that I dealt with, you know, patients that had fetal anomalies, problems with their pregnancy, and they really, it would be unhealthy to continue their pregnancy. There weren't as many options for my active duty women. And I, I continually went back to why, why is this happening? And my um, desire to care for this patient population, not only within the military, but ultimately in my entire community, led me to where I am today, practicing reproductive health care, and, and gave me some experiences along the way working with other nonprofits. And that's where I, I became involved with some of the leadership at Healthy Women. We had crossed over in other nonprofit areas in reproductive health, and they were aware of uh, my passion and my background with the military. And when this program was getting off the ground, they reached out to me to ask me if I maybe had a, a list of friends who would be interested in joining and creating some content to not only educate uh, those who are providing healthcare in the military, but also provide maybe some resources and education, education for active duty families about um, access to reproductive healthcare in the military. So um, I did just that, I phone, phoned a friend who also phoned a friend and so before long, we had a, a group of experts that were veterans, many of us, um, but also those who worked uh, in you know DOD system in the military. And we formed this group and we're working with healthy women. And, and I was pleased to be asked to be a co-facilitator, helping to create some of the content, deliver some of the content um, and things like that. So it's been a wonderful partnership. And I'm really excited about the work healthy women is doing for our community. Yeah. And. I got to be interviewed for the program that they have on their website, and I talked about my challenge of getting birth control while I was deployed and how I went to the doctor. I was like, I'm running out of birth control. And they were like, so like, and it was when I was doing the interview process, she was like, why did they treat you like that? And at the time, I just didn't think about it. I was just like, whatever. There, this, there's a roadblock. I ended up having a friend go to my home station base and mail me my birth control because that was the easiest solution. But when we were talking through the interview process, we talked about like, why was it so like, how hard is it to get condoms? Not hard. They're everywhere. But how hard is it for women to get birth control when they're overseas? Like, there's such a disconnect. I should have been able to go into the clinic and been like, I'm running out of birth control. I'm in Afghanistan. And here's what kind I need. And they should have been able to give it to me instead of being like, well, you need to get a prescription, like all these things. And like, it doesn't make any sense why that would be such a challenge. And that's the way it was. And it was really frustrating to have to deal with that because I mean, I didn't, I was going to go see my husband for my mid tour and I didn't want to get pregnant, but they were making it so that that was a possibility. And so we had to go on this roundabout way so that I didn't run out. Yeah. I mean, I hear many stories like that where, you know, you, you end up like in your mind, you're questioning why, but then your soldier's hat is on and you're like, well, that's just the way it is. They're telling me what to do. And I think ultimately the problem is for many years, women in the military were just treated like second-class citizens. We're the minority. We're, although we're growing, we're making, you know, right now, I think we're maybe at 17% of the military it's taking time, but as more, you know, females or people with uteruses rise up in leadership, my hope is that the military will recognize that um, you cannot continue to discriminate and silo uh, against our group because we have so much to offer and there's so much balance that we bring to the military and so much expertise. And unfortunately, because of the history of the military being male dominated, 
because of some of the hierarchy there. Stories like, well, you don't need birth control. You're not supposed to be having sex anyway. Well, you know, okay, well, we have all these condoms. Who, who are these people having sex with? And, you know, not, not everybody's having heterosexual sex, but, you know, a lot of the time it's heterosexual sex. So it's, it is taking a person with the penis and a person with the uterus, you know? So let's, and then all of the other reasons that people choose to be on birth control, which don't necessarily have to do with reproduction at all. I, you know, made mention to menstrual suppression, for example, pelvic pain could be a big issue. And, and we often use these medications to treat pelvic pain. So yeah, I think just that lack of recognition of the person with the uterus, their needs, and really their desire to continue to be in the mission. I mean, you were trying to plan appropriately. You're going to see your husband. You want to be able to return to your tour. You know, had you returned pregnant instead of saying, oh gosh, we failed and didn't give you birth control. The the mantra, at least at that time, I think I know would have been, you did that on purpose. So you couldn't be deployed. And how many times as, as women have we heard, oh, they're just trying to get out of a deployment and that's why they got pregnant. And I will say in my space now as an abortion provider, as a gynecologist in a highly populated military community, the vast majority of patients I see who come in for abortion who are military tell me, I want to go back to my unit. I'm, I'm supposed to be leaving on deployment. I need to be flying in that airplane. And you know, this pregnancy will hurt my career. I can't be out for X, you know, number of months. Uh, I mean, story after story is about how they want to be back in the fight and be back in the mission and not about skirting any sort of responsibility for being an active duty service member. And, and I think I, I just want to continue to shout that from the rooftops. These are very responsible young people who are fighting for our freedom. And the least we could do is, you know, provide basic reproductive health care for them. Yeah, that's true. If I had come back pregnant, they would have been like, oh, you just wanted to go home. And it's like, no, like, <laughs> and that stigma is so strong. And yeah, and there's so many things that you brought up that I'm just like, oh my goodness. And like, I had looked because I knew how much birth control I had. And like, I got the max that the military would give me before I left for a year long deployment. Don't <laughs> get me started. Um, and I had thought like, well, I'm not going to see my husband so I could go off. And then, it, but like, it was like, why would I go off something to like mess up my whole body and my hormones just to go back on it like a month or two later, just to make my birth control stretch out. And like that wouldn't have been good for my mental health or for my physical health. And it wasn't something that I should have had to be thinking about while I was deployed overseas. So I feel like we talked a little bit about why reproductive health is so important, but do you have anything else to add on like why it's so important? Yeah. I mean, it's my passion, so I could talk about this forever, but I'll, I will say specifically in, in the military population, what we are seeing is people are making choices to leave being active duty, right? Sometimes you, you do make that choice. And I, I know, you know, you had a, a child, I believe when you were on active duty, I had my first two children when I was on active duty and um, my partner, my husband is, is not active duty. And we had two small kids and we were apart because of where I was stationed. He couldn't even be with me when I had my kids, our kids. And I remember him saying, I had orders to go to a larger hospital and I would have been the most junior sailor there, most junior doctor, and I would have been first to deploy. And uh, he said, you know, if you get deployed, this is going to be a major issue because he's, he's a physician as well. He's a surgeon and we didn't have you know lots of people to help us with our kids. 
And I too, I mean, I made that choice. I could, I've probably figured it out and tried to like hire a, two nannies or, you know, beg my parents to help out, you know, all the things you have to do. And at that moment in my life, being a young Lieutenant commander, I said, I respect the military so much um, that if I can't fulfill all of the duties of being an officer and wear this uniform, then I need to leave. And in retrospect, of course, I, I think it, I made the right decision for my family and for myself at that time. I think the military lost out on, on having a more experienced OBGYN who could have continued uh, to provide health care for other members. And that's one story. But I'd say reproductive health care, you know, planning a pregnancy, that affects so many different soldiers and sailors and so many different specialties, right? You train people up to be at a certain level, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you're helping to land the airplanes, you're a fireman, you're a submarine warfare officer, whatever. And to turn around and have to leave in three or four years because, you know, you weren't able to really be able to get some help with your reproductive life plan. It happens again sometimes later in our careers, you know, as people with uteruses in the military, you know, trying to make life choices about, you know, am I going to be able to get help with some of the other reproductive issues that come along, uh, problems with your uterus, menstrual disorders, pelvic pain. Is it going to be recognized if I need a hysterectomy? Am I going to be able to have time off or am I going to have to put, you know, my life on the back burner? Um, not that those things don't happen to people with penises, you know, our, our male counterparts, people identify as male. But again, getting back to your point about stigma, I mean, I think it's like it's acceptable or, or that's OK in that circumstance. I will also say reproductive health care in the military. It's long been known that sexually transmitted infections can be an issue. Right. And so that's the whole reason condoms were part of the sea bag. It was part of the mandatory what what our young men would take off to war with because they would hit shore and then come back with different sexually transmitted infections. So if you read about reproductive health care in the military, you'll read about, you know, uh, units and units of men who came back with syphilis and other reproductive health care issues um, that also affects manpower. So reproductive health care is health care. I mean, it is just, it is basic health care. Um, I strongly believe health care should be a human right, right? We should all have access to high quality health care. Um, and I feel like in the military system, we were very blessed because we had health care available to us, very affordable health care. It was part of the package. Part of the reason I went back to the military as a civilian, even after I went out, came out um, as active duty, was because I wanted to be able to deliver health care without as many financial barriers to my patients. I found other barriers, um, but the financial ones were were less intense. Yeah, that's true. There is like less financial barriers, but that doesn't mean that all the barriers are gone when it comes to healthcare. And I, I think it's so important that we talk about how reproductive healthcare is healthcare. And it's not like its own special niche. It's just basic healthcare. And like, we talked a little bit before we hit record about how Roe versus Wade being repealed really changed the dynamics of reproductive health care for all women in all phases, and especially military women who aren't in the state they're in by their choice. They're in a state because that's where they're assigned, and then they can move to another state and have totally different laws around their reproductive health. So. I feel like it's really an important topic to talk about how that kind of changes like the dynamics of the military and just 
the future of the military when it comes to women's health? Such an important question and such a big topic. Um, I can tell you that uh, because of the Hyde Amendment, and, and not all of your listeners may even know about the Hyde Amendment, um, but it's super important, so Google it. But because of the Hyde Amendment, abortion was not a covered healthcare service for active duty women, for veterans, for anybody with government healthcare, you know, for people in federal prison, for folks on Native American reservations, for anybody basically covered by the federal government was not allowed to have an abortion paid for. Right. That's important. It, it doesn't, it, the law doesn't say um, you can't have an abortion. It just says we're not going to pay for it. But we often know then, then that's discriminatory, right? So we are immediately targeting underserved folks, folks with lower incomes, uh, people in the military, um, often young soldiers and sailors who sadly don't make a lot of money, right? We're already under, there are a lot of people, reasons people join the military. But I, I would be remiss to say that financial reasons aren't one of the top ones. You know, I, I joined financially to help, help me pay for medical school. And who is going to pay for that? Uh, it's difficult. And I didn't come from a real wealthy family who's going to be able to say, here, go pay for all these things. So I, too, use the military, military to help me um, in my career. So getting back to Roe v. Wade and abortion resources in the military, this too goes back to what I was saying about reproductive health care and, you know, options in the military and different barriers. Another reason I am where I am is because I saw the struggle of those active duty women who needed an abortion. And I say needed for whatever the reason, right? We don't walk in their shoes. Do you need an abortion because you have a fetal anomaly? You have a, a fetus that's not compatible with life and you have two other children at home and it would be difficult to continue a pregnancy or to bring home a child who may need a lot of resources that you don't have, right? That could be an issue. Were you a victim of sexual violence? You know, was this a, a rape or incest and you need, you really need to have an abortion. You really need to not carry this pregnancy. That should be your choice. Do you need that abortion because you want to go back to your unit? All of these things. I think a lot of people make a, a deal about the reason people need an abortion. And I will just pause here to again say, we don't walk in their shoes. Your reason might be different than my reason. And who am I to judge? You know, who am I to judge that reason? But because healthcare and reproductive healthcare, it's, it's a right. It's a human right. We should be able to give it safely with high quality. And even before Roe v. Wade fell, I used to tell people I was a practicing OBGYN in the military. It was like Roe didn't exist. It was like my active duty women, their, whether they were a dependent spouse, they were active duty, a dependent child, they didn't have the same rights as everybody else. Even though there's a federal law at the time, now it's gone, federal protection for abortion, if you can't access it, what does that mean? That's what reproductive justice is all about. There's no justice for people if they, sure, there's a law there, but it doesn't apply to me because, you know, I can't get it. I can't find an OBGYN in the Navy who will even refer me to get an abortion. Maybe they weren't trained in it. Maybe they don't understand it. You know, the idea of a lot of folks in the military is, well, it's not allowed here, so we don't need to know about it. Well, you know, you got to be able to take care of your patients, right? You got to be able to take care of your patients regardless. And I had a patient in the military um, when I was an OBGYN who unfortunately had a pregnancy that this is one of those things that happens. She, she went up for her 20 week ultrasound and all the, all the radiologist tech could tell her was there's 
there's an issue. You need to go talk to your doctor. So she came right down to my office and, you know, was in tears. They, she said, they wouldn't tell me what's happening. And so I looked at the report. I looked at the images and unfortunately she had a, a fetus that was not going to be compatible with life. She had other medical issues. She had prior C-sections. She had some other medical concerns. And we talked about what it would mean to, you know, terminate the pregnancy. And I had to tell her that we couldn't do it in the military. It wouldn't be paid for. You know, she was married, a stay-at-home mom, married to an enlisted man with two other children. And it would have been, you know, probably two or $3,000 at that time for her to try to get, you know, a termination of pregnancy. And this was a highly desired pregnancy. And so that doesn't happen or didn't happen in the civilian sector pre-Roe v. Wade because there was a federal protection. Somebody could go, it would be covered, you know, all of the things. Elective abortion, often very covered, you know, very much covered by private insurance. But to your point, now there is no federal protection for abortion, right? Now it's left up to the states. And some of our larger states have some big military bases. So if you're stationed in Texas, you know, you're not getting an abortion there in the state of Texas and you didn't choose to be there. And it was already stigmatized and it already came out of your pocket as, you know, a young soldier or sailor or somebody with TRICARE insurance. That was already a barrier. Now you're going to what? You have to cross three states or try to find a place to live and then who's going to pay for it? And then how are you going to tell your command you're going to, you know, leave? And is it going to be allowed? Is somebody going to tell you you can't? So all of these barriers are now stacking up even more. You know, I will say the military is looking at ways to try to, to create some solutions and help that problem. So I applaud that. I, I applaud that they're looking at ways and putting out, you know, some ideas. But until it's not just looking at it, it's on paper and we have a plan and here's a process, um, it doesn't mean anything to me yet. Like we need to actually get this done for, for our active duty folks and their families. Yeah. And I think the story you shared is something that like, I didn't even know. I mean, I didn't know that it wasn't covered because I never experienced a miscarriage or had any problems with my pregnancies that I, with my son. And the fact that like, it's a desired pregnancy, but that terminating the pregnancy is still the best choice for the family. And then the fact that it's not covered and now you add like all these other barriers, it just... It really makes me so sad for everything. I mean, yeah, and that's that's an important point because a lot of people that are in the military don't realize that. So this, um, yes, in this case, and this happens a lot in obstetrics. It's a it's a highly desired pregnancy. You don't find out there's a problem with that pregnancy often until twenty twenty two weeks. You know, whenever you can get in for that ultrasound, and um, because the fetus had a heartbeat. So I want to be clear that a miscarriage, you know, is different, right? So if there's a fetal loss, there's no cardiac activity is how we refer to it. That is covered. That is always going to be covered because it's a miscarriage, right? There's, there's, they equate like life to a heartbeat and we have to kind of not mix and match a lot of the medical terminology and, and kind of belief terminology. Cause I think we need to keep things like scientific basis and healthcare to the extent that we can, always respecting people's personal beliefs. But there is science behind a lot of what we do here, all of what we do. So yes, a miscarriage would be covered. I think you you make an important point though, right? Like a miscarriage is covered, it should be covered. There's um, no cardiac activity, even later in pregnancy, a pregnancy loss will be covered. 
But because the procedure itself and abortion is so stigmatized, there's a fear and a concern of, is this, is this allowed? Am I allowed to even ask for it? Is somebody going to do it? And I've had patients already travel to me from Texas who probably should have been able to have their you know, procedure done in Texas, but because of the fear of even going somewhere or being told no, they take it upon themselves to find somebody to care for them. And that's the problem. There's so much misinformation and fear. It, the procedure that was already stigmatized is stigmatized even more. And then that's, that's not just the civilian population, but you think about the military population where I think that stigma was on steroids. That's even worse. It's even worse now. So yes, my patient who was lovely, lovely family, highly desired pregnancy was told because I took it to the ethics committee. I mean, I went everywhere I could in the military system was told, well, we're not saying she can't have a termination. We're just saying that it's not covered by TRICARE because in the TRICARE manual, it says specifically, if there is a heartbeat, we will not pay for the termination. Unless there are, you know, extenuating circumstances, like the life of the mother is at risk, but then there are that is not well-defined and it is not defined really well. Like who gets to decide that, right? Yeah. You said life of the mother and you wrote, said it in quotes and we can't see you, but like that isn't defined like what that means. And it's very like up to the doctor or, or the person who's doing the claim, right? Not necessarily up to the doctor. I mean, there, I mean, I certainly would say I could recommend that I, you know, I have a concern and I even tried to say this, you know, my patient has other health conditions. It is a known scientific fact that carrying a pregnancy to term and delivering that pregnancy is less safe than an abortion at any stage because of so many things that happen in pregnancy. So if I were really to take life of the mother to exactly the terms, I'd say, well, it's actually more risky for her to carry the pregnancy. So her life is at stake, you know, and then people come up with things like, well, does mental health count? I'm like, well, certainly it should. But why do we, why are we even in this place that we have to jump through these hoops? Like, and I can say, I think the life of the mother is at risk, but my word alone wouldn't be good enough. There'd have to be a second physician to agree with me. And even though I'm the expert in obstetrics and gynecology, I'm sure a CO would have to sign off on it or, you know, 18,000 other people. So what I'm saying is even there where things seem very straightforward and most people who have either been around a pregnancy, have experienced their own pregnancy. What I will say is, and we're getting back to kind of why is this even important, reproductive health care and Roe and all of the things together is pregnancies are unique. We can apply all these t- statistics to folks and whatnot, but every single pregnancy is unique and we can't um, treat it like it's, this is a black and white issue because so many things can happen from early pregnancy loss to you know, changes in um, how the fetus develops. And so there could be a fetal anomaly problem. And then even carrying the pregnancy later, the maternal things that can happen to you, developing severe high blood pressure that could make, you know, your own life at risk. You know, how dangerous does it have to be? How close to death does the person carrying the, the pregnancy have to get before somebody will come down and say, well, I guess it's okay in the circumstance. We should never have to be in that situation, right? This should be a decision between the patient and her medical professional, not politicians or COs or, you know, whoever is writing the BUMED policies. Yeah. I mean, I think this conversation has like showed the complexity and like the layers and 
like the challenges and I don't know a lot about reproductive health because I'm not a doctor and I'm not planning on having more children. So it's not something I'm worried about anymore, but it is something that did affect me. I mean, especially like when I really talked to someone about my experience of like the challenge of getting birth control and like just going through that interview process and realizing like how messed up that was that I had to deal with that and and all the stigmas that I had to overcome and all the challenges that I faced and it was just getting birth control you know and then if you talk about once you're pregnant and then how it becomes an even bigger issue and more controversial and all these us I think I think we know why why you're doing what you're doing and why it's so important but are there things that you guys are aiming with Healthy Women through the Ready, Healthy, and Able program that you want to address for reproductive health in the military? Yeah, I mean, I think so many things can be, I want to say solved, but yeah, I want to say so many things can be solved with education. I, I think people don't know what they don't know. So if they didn't know that it was an issue, even in our conversation right now, it's like, oh my gosh, a fetal anomaly, like a major problem with your fetus you can't ask for an abortion or, or you can't get one in the military health system. Like you have to pay out of pocket for that. That's like, that's huge. It seems like, how could we not know that? So even just getting that word out. Um, so I think through the ready, healthy, able program. Yeah. We, we want to really provide education for other providers of healthcare, other health professionals in the military system to say, you know, stand up, rise up, write the policies in your departments about how people can get appropriate health care, you know, continue to, to you know, provide the appropriate health care. Don't let stigma drive you. Know what is covered and what isn't covered. Um, I think it was 2013 where we finally wrote the BUMED policy about rape and incest in the military, that you can actually get an abortion if you're a victim of rape or incest. Like that shouldn't be like in question, but it was. So I was part of the team that wrote that policy of how we were going to help, even if you were stationed in Japan or Germany or Afghanistan, what is the process? A lot of folks don't know that that it even exists, that you can go into your healthcare provider as an active duty person and say, I was raped. I am, I just found out I was pregnant and there is a way to protect your health information if needed, there is a way to evacuate out of that base within a week and get you to a military healthcare facility that can take care of you or to a civilian pri provider who will be able to do your abortion. People don't know that because it's not, you know, shouted from the rooftops necessarily, right? Because why would they get pregnant? You know, we don't have a problem with rape in the military or we do have a problem and we're addressing it. I've heard that for decades. We have a problem. We are addressing it. Okay, so reproductive health care, again, is not unique to you know people who identify as female. This is a problem for all of us, you know, problem for all of us. And um, the issue, though, is the, the person with the female biology with the uterus is the one that is care ends up carrying the pregnancy. But even aside from pregnancy, I mean, you've told your story about birth control, which is so important. When I was in the military, my my main driving focus was access to contraception, actually. So we're talking a lot about abortion because of Roe v. Wade and, and all of that. Um, but honestly, all of us should be rallying around contraception, right? All, if, if, we, if you don't agree with abortion, that's your personal view. I'm not here to change your mind. 
but why would why stand in the way from somebody who's trying to prevent a pregnancy or or prevent a pregnancy right now like you're trying to really address reproductive life planning like I would really like to have, you know, my baby when I'm back from deployment. I know I'm on shore duty. This is a good time for my family. If I'm trying to continue your career as long as possible, I should be supporting all of that and having open access to contraception, more education around contraception. Another one of our goals in, in Healthy Women in the Ready, um, Ready Able program is providing resources for our active duty members about contraception, about what's accessible to you, what is covered, if it's not covered, is there a way to get it? What are some really basic questions you might want to you know, communicate with your provider about? Um, all of those things, you know, we want to be able to provide education kind of all around in that 360 degree fashion and make it easy, right? You don't necessarily need to go to an hour long lecture and oh my gosh, like, let's talk about the website. Let's get on there. We have uh, real women, real stories, which, you know, I believe you were a part of, right? So, you know, letting you kind of listen in on people's real stories and experiences, um, specifically addressing the military, because Healthy Women has certainly a, a larger platform where they where they have a lot of this information for the general population. They're really focusing a lot of resources and time and energy on our active duty population, which, again, I told you, is, you know, it's my first love and it's an area that I spend a lot of time in now. Yeah, and I'm going to link to the website and to my story because I am part of that series. And so that way you can find it in the show notes easily. And thank you so much for being on the podcast, for sharing your story, for the work that you're doing, advocating for women. I think it's so important. And I mean, I learned so much in this like 30, 40 minute interview. And I'm like, and I feel like I only know like a tiny little piece of like everything that I should know. And so I'm, I'm really thankful that Healthy Woman is out there providing these resources and trying to help women and it's specifically military women. Cause I mean, we do get forgotten about and, and we, even as women in the military, we forget about like what it's like. Cause once I joined the military and I had a military doctor and I just, and then I got out of the military and I just did TRICARE standard and I went to a civilian doctor and I was like, wait, you care about my health? <laughs> like you're asking me all these questions and no one in my adult life had ever asked me like some of the questions in the interview when I went to a new healthcare provider. And so I think sometimes women in the military will forget like what people should, we don't know what people should be asking us or how we should be treated or different things that should be done because we've just been in the military system our adult life and we don't even know. And so I think this has been really helpful and, and I'm so thankful for what you guys are doing. Thank you. And I, I, I can't wait to listen to your full story on the real women and real stories on the healthy women website. And I, I just hundred percent agree. I, um, I think military physicians in healthcare do a really good job. They try really hard. They are also told what to do to a certain extent. And I think we have to remember that, you know, they are providing really excellent healthcare, but they also sometimes don't know what they don't know. And if they're siloed in their training or they're told this is the amount of time you have, or this is all you can do, um, sometimes their hands are tied. You know, I, I um, love that I was not only a part of the military community as active duty, but I was able to continue to provide as a military healthcare provider, first while wearing a uniform and then as a civilian at a large military training institution. And I trained 
you know, a whole generation of OBGYNs, many of whom are still out in the fleet and I know are just outstanding providers of healthcare and are still fighting the good fight from within. And so I'll just also put a plug in briefly. I know we have to wrap it up that um, I was one of the co-founders of the walk-in contraception clinic um, in the military. And when I say we were fighting that fight to bring down barriers, that's continuing to happen. And the military just made that a best practice. So every military treatment facility should have, if they don't have it now, they should have it soon, a walk-in contraception clinic. So you can just go in and get your birth control. So we just need to keep shouting from the rooftops. We are here. We are strong. I'm so like excited about listening in and being a regular subscriber to your podcast. And I'm happy to come back anytime you want to talk more about healthcare and obstetrics and gynecology and military women or abortion, whatever you want to talk about. It's so important. And I agree. Like it's the military system. I I wasn't really talking about like the doctors because I've had excellent doctors. It's more like how I was like the in processing of like the questions that they asked me and like how different that was and like the care. I mean, I had the best care when I delivered on base. I had I had a midwife and it was amazing. And I think that the military does have so many passionate people who are taking care of the members, but like there's just, they've most likely their only experience with healthcare working is being in the military and how that affects them. So, yeah. Yeah. Systems issues are, yeah, major issues. And so it takes folks like you, you know, providing education, breaking down barriers and getting people to stand up and say, Hey, why, why was it like that? Uh, Because like you, I, I delivered my first, two little ones um, at my tiny little military hospital. And I had the, the best care. I had better care delivering my two there than I did um, my other two in the civilian institution I was at. So it's interesting. Interesting dichotomy. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a guest. And we'll definitely have to have you come back because there's so much more, but we are totally out of time. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope that you learned something from the discussion and that you are more aware of some of the challenges that women face while serving in the military, especially around reproductive health. I also want to thank Healthy Women for pushing me to talk about a topic that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but is so important that we talk about and for all the work they're doing through their Ready, Healthy, and Able program to help military women. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I hope to see you guys all next week.